Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Okay, it's a Tuesday edition of Scoops with Danny Mac. Dan McLaughlin with you, and um, we put this out on social media about a half hour ago. Uh, Chappie of the Blues, he came on talking about the jerseys. It's the retro, reverse, whatever you want to call them, and people are going nuts. So I said... All right, Alex. Alex Ferrario has got to join me. And I also wanted Alex to come in anyway because on Ribs, BK, and Alex, they had Bill Daly on, second in command to Gary Bettman of the National Hockey League, and that was on Friday. So we're getting into that time that we should be talking about the NHL and about the blue season and where are we at and how is this thing going to work. I'm going to go through some of the news of the day. We're going to visit with Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and stltoday.com about Mizzou football. They've got South Carolina this weekend, also college basketball, about eight days away for Conzo Martin. But first, good morning to you, sir. How are you? Good, Danny. Good morning to you, and welcome back, buddy. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, took the day off yesterday. First day off in, yeah. like, I don't know, months? A million days, yeah. maybe? months. You just so keep on grinding? It's it's all good, man. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to, the, the Bill Daly interview really piqued my interest because I, I'm starting to think, how is this going to be done? When you're looking at football and the numbers across the country of COVID-19 are on the rise, um, how is the NHL going to do this in a non-bubble situation? So they're not going to bubble up like they did in Edmonton. They're not going to do it like they did in Toronto. They're going to try to get through these things geographically. So what did Bill Daly say to you for people that missed it on Friday? I heard it, but I want you to kind of paraphrase what was going on. Yeah, well, Bill Daly was an awesome guest, Danny. And I mean, I guess the main takeaways from Bill is that they're still shooting for January 1st, that there still is ongoing conversation amongst the NHL front office and the ownership. And then, of course, between the players. Now, the interesting part on this one is both sides haven't really gotten together yet. It's been more conversation amongst each other. There's a 16 player committee of the return to play. And then of course you got Bill Daly and and Gary Bettman and everyone involved. I think from Bill Daly's perspective, and he was kind of all over the place because there's a lot going on right now, but the plan right now, at least it seems is the hub cities to where you're going to have divisions. Now, the hard part is how are they going to realign those divisions? How are they going to go about? And I think the biggest thing with Bill Daly was they don't really have a protocol in place of what happens when a player gets it or if a player gets it, meaning COVID. And if you go look back at training camps before the bubble came into play, there were a lot of players who did come down with it. So I think that's why we still haven't seen much together right now. But from Bill Daly's perspective, they're making progress. They still feel like January 1st is attainable, but it's just more conversations that need to take place. If it's January 1st, that means seven to 10 days. They probably got to make this decision. That would give you about your three to four week period, essentially, to get ready for the season. Yeah, and that's what Pierre Lebrun was talking about earlier today, Danny. Put it out on Twitter. Of course, the TSN reporter who is very well uh, in depth with the NHL front office and the Players Association and was talking about how, you know, you do have a seven to 10 day window. Basically, by the end of November, there needs to be a plan in place for them to get January 1st. Because think about it, Dan, you had the the 18 teams, if I'm not mistaken, that played in the bubble. 
But you also have those other teams that haven't played since, what, March 11th was the last time there was a regular season game. So there's going to have to be a little bit more expanded preseason and training camp for some of these teams. So you're hypothetically looking at if you start in the beginning of December and have the plan in place, teams going about two to three weeks of training camp and then inserting maybe a week of preseason games. And that's not even taking into consideration what happens if a player or a team has an outbreak, because remember preseason, you're going to be traveling. So that to me is still the gray area for Bill Daly and Gary Bettman and the players, because safety is the biggest concern, but you also can't have a week or two kind of absence for some teams because then you're not going to get all of the games in and you have to get 60 games minimum. 60 games to get these TV deals done. So they got to play 60? I believe, well, they don't have to play 60, but from the television contracts that, that go into it. Is that for the local it, TV? Or I, believe, for, okay. I believe that's national. I believe okay. that's national television because it's, of course, the last contract, but there might be some local television in there as well. But I believe from what I was reading in some of the reports, 60 is the minimum for the kind of those television contracts. And the players, regardless, are going to get roughly 72% of their salaries, whether the league plays or not, correct? If there's no season, then I think the players won't get paid, which is where the owners... We might have to check with Jamie on that one, but from what I understand, because we talked about it last week, there is an opportunity, I guess, which is why the, the, the ownership side is saying it might not be beneficial for us to play. Some players are going to get paid regardless. That's what those signing bonuses are. That's what Alex Petrangelo wanted to where lockout, COVID-related, pause, you're going to get paid. So Ryan O'Reilly on the Blues, he's getting paid because he has that signing bonus. But if there is any sort of season, if they play 10 games, 48, 60, 72, 82, players are going to get paid that 72%. But there, there is that, that caveat, I believe, to where if there is no season – then the ownership doesn't have to pay the players that don't have signing bonuses. Okay, the uh, jersey completely flips the colors used on the team sweater worn in the late 1990s for the Blues. Legends such as Wayne Gretzky, Brett Hall, Al McInnes, Chris Pronger, Grant Fuhr. The new jersey features a bold red as its predominant color. People are going nuts over this. The stripes, which were red on the original jersey that were first revealed in 1995, are now yellow. The club's traditional blue now appears on the sleeves and along the jersey's base. The 90s iteration of the blue note remains unchanged. That is the uniform. You can go to our 101 feed. The site has got the uh, uniform, the jersey, the sweater up, and you can see it. some people, let's just say, aren't real happy with that. You love it. I love it. I wanted to see like a little yellow, some blue, maybe a little. I don't like the red. Let me ask you this. But this is the fun part about it. They're only going to wear it five times. Right. So. That's the part that gets me. Like people are acting like this is an 82 game schedule right. that we're going to see these jerseys. Like you're only getting a couple games with this. Let me ask you this, Dan. You have been a Blues fan from day one. Yeah. What was the best era of hockey in St. Louis? That era. That era. I mean, outside of winning the Stanley Cup, but that was the era, the Ron Caron era when he was wheeling and dealing, man. Right. It was so much fun. And that's where I come from on this. And and I, I've been getting blasted because I put it out on Twitter. I said, I am all in on these because last year I was all in on those retro, which was the blue, mainly blue. And then you had the red and then the, the, the gold stripes on it. Um, this was my this was my childhood. Like this was the best era of hockey for me. Now, I get it. Kelly Chase, Jamie Rivers, Al McKinnis, they've said God awful jerseys yep. that they wore. 
I love it though. Like this is blues for me. Like you got the 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 slanted numbers on the back. Uh. I get the red. I get people hating the red, but I feel like as hockey fans in St. Louis, we're trained to hate the color red. Guys, Detroit's not in our, our division anymore. We're better than Chicago. Enjoy the red. This is 90s hockey no. at its best. No, no, no. Give me a little light, uh, like the, the off gold that the Bruins are wearing. Let's Let's just go wacko okay let and then give me a little blue on that thing man so you like, like watching highlighters skate around on the edge you know there's some bananas rolling around on skates <laughs> i don't care get me out of that red i don't like the red do you remember talking to the players when oh, those jerseys yeah. came out they all had to well, have hated it they were all like you know they all had to say oh yeah you know we're excited about it we can't wait to wear them it's gonna be great it's gonna blah 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 and they're, and they're like all behind the scenes like what in the hell is this and then you turn the mic off after interviewing right. them and they're like, Dan, these are terrible. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that's the, you know, that's the kind of the fun right. part of this. Um, hey, at least they're not doing the, you remember the black jerseys? The black jerseys. They were black. And maybe they didn't wear these, but I thought they wore these for a couple games, but it was black. I don't remember that. And it had gold stripes and it had like red accent colors on it. It was I, terrible looking. I kind of faintly remember yeah. it. So we were looking at these in the office. Um, I like the Red Wings have the white with just the mm-hmm. the red, you know, the the, just the logo, on, the it, logo yeah. on it. I think that traditional look of that. I, I love the old original six yeah. stuff. I thought the Canadians look was pretty cool. Canadians takes you back to like the the original six, like when they came into the league, like yeah. Larry Robinson, Montreal Canadians. Then the uh, the avalanche went with like the Nordiques. Right. I wouldn't be happy if I was a Nordique fan. See, everyone loves that one. Like, everyone that I've seen has power-ranked Colorado as number one, and I'm kind of on the side you are, Dan. Like, I think the design is cool, but if I'm a Colorado Avalanche fan, I don't want to celebrate the Quebec Nordiques. That's kind of my point. I want to celebrate the, like, 90s Colorado Avalanche. The 96 Avalanche that won the cup. Like, why not use the foot logo? You remember the one that was on the shoulder of kind of like the foot that was coming through? Like, yeah. that would be the logo I'd go with. This is from the uh, 260 Black Only in a Pregame Skate. Uh, let's see. 314, I think the new uniforms are sweet. Remind me of the Cardinals. Okay. Uh Five seven three with Keenan Adam Creighton, they were good and bad with that era. <laughs> the white one was just tolerable. To Keenan guys, <laughs> uh, let's see three one four four blues red jersey is awful. Will look like the Ronald McDonald guy on skates. Hope <laughs> McDonald's paying ownership for those five games. You want to see Ronald McDonald? Go look at the Vegas Golden Knights alternate jersey. <laughs> well, there's no history there. There is no history. So why would you even do it? It's it's red and yellow. Like it looks like a Happy Meal box. Well, I I get it. Dan, so you want to know the worst one? Yeah, the worst one in my eyes were the Minnesota Wild. Why? Because they look like a Subway wrapper. Well, then if you're going to do the Minnesota Wild, why not go back to the Minnesota No Stars? Well, and I think that's what they're doing with the colors, and that's what Jamie Rivers... But you can't do that because of the Dallas Stars. And you got the Minnesota Wild logo, so you can't put Minnesota Wild logo with the Minnesota North Stars colors. It doesn't make much sense. Uh, 618, the Taco Bell Coyotes unis are terrible. Terrible. I don't understand where the purple came from. Like, why are we throwing purple on this team? Hey, Alex, just enjoy the jerseys, man. They're cool. Yeah, you you love the blue. Now, now you're ripping everybody else. Because red has always been a part of the history. Like the 90s was red. Purple.
Apple no. has never been in the Coyotes. The, the Avs uniforms are awesome. No, the Coyotes not. uniforms are awesome. No. Scotty, I'm, turn your mic I'm off. I'm here for all of them. Scotty, turn your mic off. 618 wraps it up. Good gosh, I don't care if they were dresses as long as I can win and win a cup again, wear anything they want. Amen. Period. Give me hockey and Dan, give me a Stanley Cup game seven with the Blues winning with those jerseys. So, final thought. Yeah. January 1st is where they're hoping. Hub cities and how many games do you think? If you had to put a guess on it, if what do you If I had think? to put a guess on it, I think we're looking at somewhere between, I would say somewhere close to 65 games. I think 72 is asking too much. I still think you're looking at maybe like a January 15th start. And I say 65 games because I think the NHL is going to have to give themselves a little bit of leeway, a little bit of wiggle room in terms of if somebody breaks out, if a travel goes bad, or if a team has an outbreak, you got to give yourself a little bit of wiggle room. So I'm going to say 65 games and somewhere between January 15th. Would they also have to negotiate in this a, let's say, um, an extra three to four man traveling squad with the team. I think so. And let's, let's remember that the AHL, which is the American hockey league, they're not starting till February. Like February was when they were planning. So if the NHL starts in January, you could be looking at a month of what the baseball did where they had satellite camps, where you travel, let's say 28 to 30 guys, because you're going to have to have a couple of extra bodies there. And if there's no AHL season, a month after the NHL starts, you're going to want some of those prospects to be skating with you. So you might see three goaltenders and, an ex- and two or three extra players on a roster for that first month of the season. All right, buddy. Great stuff as always. Danny, you make it fun. I Go appreciate back to it. The, let's just give me some royal blue. Give me blue. Give me white. Danny, maybe a little yellow. I love your opinions on this stuff, but I will sway it at some point to make you love the clown jerseys. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know what it's going to do? A lot of people are going to buy them. A lot of people are going to talk, and a lot of people are going to buy them. That's the whole point. That is the whole point. We're going to visit with Dave Matter in just a bit. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. 1023 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. And it's always great to visit with Dave Matter of STL Today and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He covers Mizzou Athletics and Mizzou off last weekend because of COVID-19. Their game was shut down. They weren't the only ones. Four games in the SEC. They're back at it this weekend. Fingers crossed against South Carolina. And Dave, always great to hear your voice. How are you? Good, Dan. Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, are we going to get the game on this weekend? Let's start with that. Are we Are we good to go this weekend? <laughs> uh, as of right now, everything I've heard, Missouri is trending in the right direction to have enough players to play. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz will talk to the media here at noon via Zoom. And, uh, you know, everything is always pending test results. So they do three tests a week. Uh, they'll do, I think they do tests on Tuesday. So we'll, uh, that test result will be known tomorrow. And then there'll be another one on Thursday. They'll know on Friday. So, but as of the last check that I've had with folks in, at, at the program, they expect to have players back who couldn't have played in the Georgia game, you know, this past weekend. How do you think Mizzou has handled this and compare it to some of the other teams in the SEC and really across the country? How, how do you think they've gotten through this? Oh, you know, okay. Um, you know, they haven't had the, the big outbreaks that other teams have had, especially in the SEC where they've had to shut down all team activities. You know, Missouri's situation, they've had just a combination of roster attrition that led to this to where just getting a few players in contact tracing, 
you know, led to having a game be postponed. You know, they've had injuries, they've had suspensions, uh, they've had some opt-outs. You know, they have the scholarship reductions this year by four, you know, which go into, you know, how many players you have available. So they really haven't been as hurt roster-wise by COVID as some other schools where they can't even practice. Missouri's still been able to practice. They only had last week two players who tested positive. But you throw on all the other things that have gone wrong with this roster in year one, some of it beyond, you know, the coaching staff's control, um, you know, it just added up to where they weren't able to have enough guys to play that game last week. So I, I think they handled it okay, um, but but nobody is immune from from this virus in college football. We, we've learned that. How did they do this, Dave? I mean, take me through uh, just simply how they practice. So the kids show up, they're masked up, they go inside the locker room, they get dressed, are they masked up until the point that they walk onto the field, they practice, and then they wear their mask back in? Do they shower there? Do they shower back at the dorm or wherever they're living? How, how do they do this to try to make sure and mitigate the, the spread of the virus? Yeah, they, they try to create a bubble at the team facility as much as possible. You'll see the coaches are wearing masks. Um, you know, we, we can't watch practice, but the, as far as what the protocols are, you know, guys have to social distance as much as you can. That's hard to do in the locker room. So they, I, I do believe they require masks in the building when they're not physically practicing, whether they're lifting weights, just hanging out, um, you know, socializing in the training room, all of those things. On the practice field, then, you know, you're supposed to have a, have a mask on if you're on the sideline, if you're not on the field playing, uh, you know, in that specific drill or whether it's a scrimmage or a live situation. Uh, and you got to be masked up otherwise. I, I think the one thing that we have learned, and Missouri has said this, um, that they haven't had real transmission of the virus at the team facility. It's It's been more the case where, Somebody is either back at their apartment or their dorm or they've left town or they're around town and they've caught it somewhere else. They've done a pretty good job of controlling it on their home turf. But, you know, these are college athletes. You can't just keep them in in one facility seven days a week, 24 hours a day uh, like you like you can do with the NBA bubble we saw back in Orlando. So it's. It's it's not foolproof, and uh, you just have to control it the best you can. I'm assuming that uh, Eli and his staff have just told the kids, hey, in terms of like Halloween parties and parties in general, which has got to be almost impossible to do when you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids on a college campus, hey, don't go to parties, don't congregate, try not to do it. I'm assuming it's almost impossible to do, but that's got to be the message he's probably trying to send. Yeah, the mess is from the top down, you know, from the, the from the coaching staff to the team leaders too. I mean, that for the the seniors, the veteran players that um, that, that they won't have a 2021 necessarily to be able to play in, in the sport where there's not this virus impacting it. You know, they they want the the best for this team and for themselves and and for their final year also. Uh, so yeah, it has to start from up there. I, I think it did work out for Missouri. I think fortunately. That Halloween fell, it fell on a Saturday this year, but they were on the road playing a night game at Florida. Now, that game did not go well for Missouri, but maybe the silver lining was they were in the air, and by yeah. the time they landed in Columbia, it was probably, I mean, I'm sure if you're, a, if you're a college kid, you can find any party that's still going on as long as the sun isn't up yet. But it, it probably worked in their favor that they weren't, didn't have a home game that night or didn't have a bye week. How, how are the numbers on campus, just generally speaking, with the school? I, I know that's something that you probably follow as it pertains to athletics, but in general with the campus, uh, how, how are the numbers? Well, they were really bad when, when classes started in late August, uh, early September. 
um, you know, they, they, they peaked, then they kind of went on, they sort of just like the county and the city in St. Louis and the state of Missouri, it seemed like, you know, things were improving for a while. And then they went back up again. And Boone County has really been hurting here as far as the numbers go for the last few weeks now. Um, and you know, the Columbia Public Schools, which where my kids go, where my, my wife works, they, they went back to virtual this week. They had been in, in, in person uh, classes for a few weeks. Uh, Mizzou is, is going to shut down in-person classes after the Thanksgiving break and encourage students to stay home, you know, after the holiday to finish out the semester, not come back to campus. So um, it's it, very similar to what we're seeing around the state uh, and around this part of the country, too, as far as, as far as the virus goes. I think for athletics, not just at Mizzou, but around the country, kind of the hope is that once these campuses get cleared out for, for the holidays, uh, that, that the numbers will go down and, you know, athletes will be less exposed to non-athletes. It, it sounds harsh. It sounds, you know, it, it, it doesn't sound great to say it like that, but that's the reality, and that's, that's got to be the hope for athletics departments. Is that kind of why they're, they're not going to push back, at least for the time being, college basketball? I know Rick Pitino has come out and said push it back. You've got Jim Beheim who just tested positive for COVID-19. There's been some talk that maybe, hey, go February, March, April, have May uh, madness for – the the NCAA tournament, but we haven't seen it happen yet, even though it would make some sense potentially. But is that the hope? Because kids then would be not, you know, they go home for Thanksgiving, people clear out, they don't come back until maybe after, way after Christmas. And at that yeah. point in time, you know, you, you, you're away from people. So you might be able to get the season in. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's the hope. That's probably part of the reasoning that these conferences are still clinging to having non-conference games. I think if you asked conference commissioners and ADs and coaches uh, for a moment of truth, they would all probably just prefer to have conference play for basketball this year because then you're, you're, everybody is working within the same protocols, the same rules within your league. Um, you know, you know what facilities you're going to. You're, you don't have to worry about neutral site arenas where the, the rules, the, the specifications, protocols might be a little bit, bit different, not on par with what you're used to or what you're going to have to do for your seasons. Um, so, yeah, I, I still think basketball, there's, there's a lot of fears out there. This is not going to go off well. You're talking about an indoor sport, smaller teams. Um, you know, the, the question of having fans at games or not at games is going to be really inconsistent throughout the different conferences. They're supposed to tip off games next Wednesday. Missouri has a, game, a home game scheduled for, for uh, next Wednesday against Oral Roberts. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I know there's, there's a lot of fear and apprehension among people uh, all around the, the, uh, the sport right now. How about expanding the college football playoff? If there was ever a year to do it, Dave, this would be it to go to eight. I mean, Ohio State now has lost a game. they got to get to six. got to play six games. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And so right. there's, you know, there's only eight in the big, in the big ten this year. They're they're down to a potential of seven games to play in. Um, you got some of the, the not the the big boys, if you will, that have a chance to maybe make that case finally this year. Expand it. Uh, college football would make some money. We all know that everybody's losing money. And again, I'm not taking into account the student athlete, which is something I should be. But whoever right. is at the NCAA level, let's be honest about it. This is about making money. So if there was ever a time to be expanding to eight, this would be the time to do it, or 10, or whatever the case may be. Why not do it this year? And do you think there's ever a chance to do that this year and say, yep, we're going to do it? 
It seems too late now. Um, you would think that this would be the year they would try to do that. I, I know our, our my colleague and our, our friend Ben Fredrickson put that in print a few weeks ago saying this is the year to do it. You know, Major League Baseball did it. Um, you know, the NBA and the NHL didn't didn't expand necessarily, but they, uh, you know, when they went to their bubbles, they let teams that were out of the playoff hunt have a chance still after their long break to get back into the hunt. The NFL is expanding the playoff field this year. But college football, when it comes to the people who decide the championships, these uh, the, these major bowl games, the college conference uh, commissioners, they are so slow to to change, and they are so uh, against you know major changes. It takes so long to make these decisions. Maybe if this if they would have known where things stand in mid November, back in August, maybe they would have decided to do that. But it just seems too late now, uh, and it's a shame. I, I think this would have been the perfect time to do it. And as far as the runway now for Mizzou in terms of getting their schedule in, are they out of bye weeks and where they could possibly situate some of their schedule? And also, just generally speaking, for the SEC? Yeah, Missouri is out of bye weeks now. The, the SEC did this week, or I think it might have been Friday, they cleared up December 19th to use as a day for regular season games. That is the day that the SEC championship will be played in Atlanta. But if you are if you're not eligible for that game, if you're not you know, a division champion, you can play a game that day. I, you know, what's the purpose? Well, it obviously has nothing to do with the standings of the championship. It's just to get a game in. Uh, Missouri and Georgia could play their game that day if they are not in the championship game. Right now, neither of them would be. Florida is in the driver's seat for the SEC East. The league also announced, though, starting next week, that they can kind of scramble up your schedule, even if you're not impacted by COVID, if it helps the league get other games in. So, we know how Missouri's games kind of fall on the schedule. They're at South Carolina Saturday. Then after that, it's Arkansas at Mississippi State, then Vanderbilt. But the league can move those games around with a, basically a five days notice if it helps out another team get in a game that otherwise you know might be lost. So um, I'll put put your uh, your schedules in pencil at this point. Isn't that the truth? Dave Matter is my guest from uh, the Post-Dispatch, covers Mizzou, does an unbelievable job. Uh, we saw the signing period and the signing day, I should say, uh, last week. How did Mizzou fare on that day? Well, they signed five guys, uh, which is a pretty big class for college basketball. And, you know, this group kind of has to become a, a cornerstone for the program going forward and, and really immediately because Gonzo's got five seniors right now. And, and granted, with this NCAA rule, Seniors can come back. This year doesn't count as eligibility. But he said last week that he would expect most seniors, um, you know, to, to hang it up after this coming season. Um, so, you know, they've got some guys that they, they didn't get. They didn't get McDonald's All-Americans. They didn't get any five-star players. I think they did go get some guys that kind of fit the mold of, of how Kondo envisions his teams. Um, you know, the, from St. Louis, kind of the headliner is Yaya Kieta from, from DeSmet, a big man who's going to unfortunately miss this year with a knee injury. But he, when he went healthy, he looks kind of ready-made for the SEC, a, a banger, a big guy who will step right into that front court and I think contribute right away. Anton Brookshire is a intriguing point guard from Springfield, Missouri, kind of a combo guard, could play either spot, and, and they'll need him probably immediately because you lose Drew Smith, you lose Mark Smith. Drew Bugs is a grad transfer that came in this year from Hawaii who's here for one year. Um, so they, they got some interesting pieces that some of them a little bit raw that you got to develop and others that probably going to have to play and play big roles right away. In terms of fans at Mizzou Arena, any chance that that could happen this year? The plan right now is right around 20%, which would be a little 
around 3000. Now that can change. Um, but, but that's what they've sort of informed their, their season ticket holders that the, the plan is right now, nobody close to the court. Um, you know, they need some space down there because of some of the protocols. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if that, if that policy evolves during the year, I know there's going to be some places around the country, even conference wide where they're not going to allow fans. But as of right now, uh, they're talking about around 3000 fans. And I'll wrap it up with this. What kind of year do you think Conzo can have basketball-wise? You know, I, I don't think they're one of the top. I think there's a very clear top tier in the SEC. And I think Missouri's right in the mix of that middle class after that top tier. I mean, they have to bank on their experience being their strength. They're the most experienced team in the SEC by far. Uh, you know, they've got a, a, a core that has played a lot of games at this level. That has to be their advantage. They have to be a team that doesn't beat itself, um, that makes smart decisions, that's good down the stretch, that's good on the road, play like a veteran team. If they can do that, win their home games, steal a few on the road, you know, I think this can be his right there with his first team being one of his, his best teams he's had at Missouri. But those guys got to develop. You know, they, they have to live up to uh, their potential, you know, and, and they, the experience has to be their advantage. Dave, thanks. I really appreciate your time. I know you're really busy, and uh, keep up the great work and stay safe and healthy. I appreciate your time, though, very much. My pleasure as always, Dan. Take care. You got it. That's Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he covers Mizzou Athletics, does an incredible job with that. Always interesting to hear from Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and uh, appreciate his time from the 314. Red jerseys are terrible, Danny Mac. Couldn't agree with you more. Go with a yellow jersey. So I was thinking, just yellow jersey. That's the the reverse that you wanted? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's what I wanted. Uh, Some news from John Morosi. Andrew Friedman of the Dodgers voted MLB Executive of the Year in ballots cast by all 30 clubs prior to the start of the postseason. Rick Hahn of the White Sox second. And Eric Neander of the Rays was third. And speaking of executives, groundbreaking news concerning the Marlins yesterday as Kim Neng was uh, named as their general manager that was on Friday in a press conference yesterday. You know, I'm just completely humbled by the reception that I've gotten from, you know, all walks of life, from all different people, crossing all different disciplines. So it's been awesome. The last 72 hours have been a whirlwind, but so happy to share with so many people and hopefully inspiring generations to come. Pretty awesome. First female to be uh, at that position, high-ranking official in Major League Baseball as the general manager. Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds heading as the leading candidates returning to baseball's Hall of Fame ballot in a year without any favorites among the new names. Schilling was third behind Derek Jeter, Larry Walker last year. He had 70%, and it does look like that he would get in. Now, something I'm going to pay attention to and I think he's kind of on a track that Larry Walker was on, is one Scott Rowland. He's on the Hall of Fame ballot this year, fourth time. He's been a steady riser each year, and in January, he appeared on about 35% of the ballots, and that was a significant jump. And usually when you make this kind of jump, he went from 35% uh, from 17%, and then prior to that, he was at 10%. That means he's moving up. And I think with sabermetrics, his look at defense, I would say he is going to probably eventually make it to the Hall of Fame. I would think that he should. Um, 
The other guy that I think needs to be in, why he's not in the Cardinals Hall of Fame is beyond me, is Keith Hernandez. But it's kind of a bewilderment for me that many around the game uh, don't look or just accept that Keith Hernandez is not in baseball's Hall of Fame. Won the MVP in 1979. He is, in my mind, the best defensive first baseman in the history of the game, which is often overlooked. Hernandez was also one of the purest left-handed hitters of his generation. Um, When he retired, he was a 296 career hitter, 162 home runs. He had 426 doubles, but what stands out, he had 11 gold gloves uh, as a first baseman, 17 years, played with the Cardinals, the Mets, and um, the Indians, and won two championships, and that was with both the Cardinals and the Mets. So I would look at those two guys. I just think Keith Hernandez needs more of a look, a harder look for baseball's Hall of Fame. NBA. I don't talk a lot of NBA, but I will here. James Harden is going to turn down $50 million a year to play basketball because he wants to go to the Brooklyn Nets, apparently. Here's Adrian Wojciechowski. Because James Harden is under contract in Houston, there's not a great deal of leverage to force your way out, but his focus is on getting to the Brooklyn Nets. He spent time in recent weeks out in L.A. working out with Kevin Durant, with Kyrie Irving. That's his intention. Now, for Houston, if they're going to trade James Harden, they have made it clear to Brooklyn and around the league, they want a massive haulback. That means young players. That means draft picks. That means salary cap relief. And so they can start the season with Harden on their roster and, and play this out and try to build a market for him. But right now, James Harden's mind, he wants a way to Brooklyn. $50 million a year. $50 million a year to go play basketball, and you're wanting to go to Brooklyn. Dan, I know we talked about this with Trevor Lawrence and trying to get money, and I was on the side of go back to Clemson so you have a different team. Yeah. In this case, I'm changing my mind. If you're going to get $50 million, Why are you changing your mind now? Because it's $50 million. This What's is, the difference? But here's the difference. You're taking the money. Okay, but no, here's the difference. Is that if, the money. Tre- if Trevor Lawrence goes to a better team and can have better success, he could make $50 more million. No. That's what I think. Ribs and BK, they're coming up next, and this is the crossover. Want to remind you, if you missed anything on today's show, check out the podcast brought to you by our good friends, I Promise. That's I Promise. And make sure you do that on the podcast on 101.com. And Jamie Rivers is in. All right, what do you think about those jerseys? Flashbacks of good or bad for you? Well, look, I went through the whole thing yesterday, and it was a really kind of a bad time wearing those jerseys, okay? (laughs) The original ones. Now, so here's where I went with it. To me, the retro is the Winter Classic jersey. So if you went reverse retro, and I know you'd have to wrap your brain around it, but I think the yellow with big blue stripes and some white would have been kind of cool. Uh, But they went with the 90s retro, which if you look at the jersey... The actual reverse retro, that wording. The rivers retro. So should, this is should, really about you. Know you know what? It should be the rivers retro. But when you do that, it is it is perfectly designed as the reverse of what it once was. So this gave you Keenan flashbacks is what you're telling me. Yeah, I couldn't sleep all night. Yeah, I it bet. Was awful. Some I did, every time the phone rang, I'm like, I'm being traded. I'm being sent down. Pack your bags. You had Adam Creighton. <laughs> Adam <flashbacks>. Creighton <laughs> with my gear in a black trash bag. <laughs> See you later, Riff. Who else? Who are some obscure names from that that time? Adam Creighton would be oh, one, probably. Wow. I mean, who was the guy that uh, who Charlie had, Huddy? <laughs> Charlie Huddy. Huddy. Who is the uh, Who is the guy? I, I can picture him playing as Mike. 
Eastwood. Oh yeah, Easty. Yeah, great face off. I was going to say one every face face off had, had the a, ugliest stick, stick in the world. That, he basically yeah, had a goalie paddle at the end of his stick. Was, you know, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Brian to, Noonan. I was Adam just thinking Creighton, Brian Noonan. That's who I was thinking uh, of. We had Craig McTavish. That was fun um, playing with him. No helmet. JoJo. JoJo Dancer. Yeah. Let's see who else. So Joe Murphy. Shane Corson. Shane Corson uh, was a captain at one point. He was a killer, man. Seriously, yeah. this guy was a nut in the best possible way. I yeah. love Shane Corson. Uh, where is he now? He's back in Toronto. He has a couple little things going on, a business and whatnot. Looks like he's doing okay. He had a real big bout of depression, uh, but he's come back on the other side of Good. it. And uh, He's a nice nice guy. Awesome teammate. Honestly, one of the best teammates ever. I'm trying to think of some other guys. Is it Mike Smith was one of the guys came yeah. from the Oilers over there. Everybody who played for Keenan somewhere came into that. Where's like I said, Grant Fear these days? Fearsy, I don't know what Is he home. Arizona probably playing golf every day? I can't remember if he's Arizona or where he's calling home base these days. It might be California, but he he's on the, you know, the uh the the tour for yeah. you know, celebrity yeah. tour pro am type stuff. That's Doing a, really well. That's a Tikkanen. Tessa Tikkanen, my God. He's back over in Finland. Tessa Tikkanen spoke seven languages. Did he really? Yeah, but he couldn't speak one properly. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. Even the Finnish guys would be like, we have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> he was a beauty, man. <laughs> oh, man. Man, you bring, you bring up some good names. Um, what's coming up on the show? Uh, well, we got a lot of stuff. BK, he goes to bed at night and his brain doesn't ever stop, yep. right? So yep. we have, uh, he's angry at baseball today. Why? He's mad at baseball. We're going to have to find out, Dan, because I walked in today and I said, hey, who are we getting now in trade? He goes, we're not trading. I'm just angry at baseball. Okay. So tune in and we'll figure that out. Uh, we've got David Schoenfeld coming up from ESPN, Major League Baseball writer, so maybe he'll have to contribute to BK's anger or hopefully calm him down. And we got JR, Jeremy Rutherford, who's back from his staycation. And uh, what, What's his nickname? You got a nickname for everybody. Uh, boring. I should have something better than that. I'd I'll like work to hear on it. it. Yeah, I'd I'll like work to hear it. All right, looking forward to the show. Ribs BK, Alex, coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.